0: Welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast. My name is Brett Landry. I am here today with lead pastor of Christ City, East Vancouver, Jake Lefave, and we are going to talk about books. Can't wait. We got books on books on books, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that we read in the calendar year of 2019, not that was published necessarily in the calendar year of 2019, but books that we read this year that we think would be helpful and uh, want to talk about a little bit, recommend, and... Uh, Yeah, Jake, why don't you take us away?
1: Well, I'm really excited about this, Brett, because a bunch of these books have been largely formative for me and our team as we planted a church this year. Yeah. And so a lot of these books that I'll talk about today are not sort of abstract, big, theological, although I think I have one of those uh, in here, but most of them are sort of on the ground uh, informing our practice as a church uh, kind of books. And so I can start. Is that okay with you? Yeah, man, hit it. The first book I want to talk about, and if you've heard me preach really in the past six months, uh, you've probably heard me reference this book at least once or twice or three times, (laughs) um, is The Gospel Comes with a House Key uh, by Rosaria Butterfield. And I've talked about this book ad nauseum because I love it. The the subtitle is Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. As we looked at planting a church this year, one of the things we knew we needed to be on about Uh, in Hastings Sunrise in that corner of Vancouver uh, is hospitality. Having people in our homes, uh, sharing meals with them, uh, getting to know our neighbors... Uh, in some very cool and tangible ways and so uh, Rosaria Butterfield outlines in this book some of the ways that she does that uh, in her home in Durham uh, North Carolina uh, some of the scriptures that that kind of call us to this radically ordinary hospitality and the best part about this book Brett that I love is that she is so fluent in the scriptures yeah. that she is weaving uh, the biblical scriptures throughout uh, these are sort of very practical things and so you never feel like oh this is just her idea this is just her thinking on hospitality uh, this is all very biblical in, in one sense, the pushback I got on this book, and I'd be curious as to your thoughts. Yeah, now, no, this is the first
0: question I was going to ask you. What's the challenge of this book?
1: The challenge of the book is that when she talks about radical, she she means radical, right? And so uh, I remember talking with one, another one of our pastors about this and he's like, well, this is pretty crazy. Uh, like this is pretty uh, intense. Like she's having people in her home all the time, yeah. cooking for them all the time. Uh, she's a big advocate of foster, uh, fostering children. Uh, and so um, I, I think for this book, um, even if you don't adopt all the practices, right. even if you don't kind of full-heartedly jump into the Rosario world, right. I think it moves the needle
0: yeah. in a lot of people's lives to get them to start thinking about this. Well, and I think that's important even just to mention, you know, when we read books, You know, you and I both consume uh, a lot of literature in a given year, and I I would encourage every leader, for sure, to be reading a lot. But I think every Christian should be engaging with good content, and um, you probably need less Netflix and more good books in your life. But you're not going to read a book and totally change your life, like, 180 degrees, necessarily. Outside of the Bible. Outside of the Bible. Right. Yeah, the 180 degrees is important in the Bible. Right, yeah. But when you read a book like this, you're looking at it and going, okay, what can I— what can i accept what can i affirm what can i receive how can i apply it and i think there's important aspects of it like I, it's one of those things that you don't you don't need to take every single thing that you read in a book right. and apply it to your life or you'd be flip-flopping back and forth because authors have different emphases and so where an author emphasizes one thing And maybe it seems like to the detriment of another. Well, you can read that other author who's emphasizing something different. Maybe it seems to the detriment of another. And I think it's just important to say that just because someone is saying uh, A, B, or C doesn't mean they're neglecting X, Y, or Z. Right.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think even as we talk through these books that we will talk about in, in just a moment here is that none of these books come to us as the inspired, inerrant Word of God. And these are all sort of informing and shaping how we think about things. At the same time, what I found about this book uh, is that there are a lot of little justifiers I have in my heart as right. to why I cannot be a hospitable person. Yeah. I've got small kids. Our life is... Bi- we planted a church. Yeah. Uh, you know, These are all very, very busy things. And, and yet, I think Rosario does a good job of, of making us face the plain meaning of the scriptures and the plain meaning of the text.
0: That's great. Yeah, so that's my first book. It's a great book. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Just say highly. the title again.
1: That's The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. Highly, highly recommended. Uh, fantastic for us.
0: One additional thing about Rosaria, she was a professor of English literature, I believe. Yeah, at Syracuse University. And it's just so well-written. Like anything she writes I, is a pleasure to read.
1: So if that's a thread I can draw through my books is that I feel like, um, and this is maybe not true, and so I'll just say it, but I feel like to me, like the style of writing is at times as important as the content itself. <laughs> so obviously, I don't believe that f- fully, sure. but I think a lot of the authors I have here uh, are just people I just
0: enjoy reading. So I'm not going to highlight this book in my list because we tried to keep our list of five books each. So I'm not highlighting this book. But okay. Gay Girl, Good God by Jackie Hill Perry is one of those books. Yeah, It's so well written. She's a poet and a rapper, and so she didn't want to just write good content telling her story. She wanted to write like a beautiful book, and so it's beautifully written. You can tell that she labored over every sentence and every turn of phrase, and reading books like that is so encouraging. It's not like, you know, and this isn't supposed to, I'm I'm not here to, you know, hammer on the evangelical multiplex, you know, where we crank out books. It seems like the American publishers is just cranking out books, and a lot of them are like sermon series preached by pastors, written by ghost writers. It's not even their voice, and it's sort of just nauseating when you look at it. Jackie Hill Perry's book is the opposite of mm-hmm. all of those things. It's beautifully written. It's compelling, and um, maybe I should have had it in my list because I've already talked about it for a minute now.
1: Well, I mean, Maisie w- was reading a portion of that book, my wife, uh, to me the other night, and you know, just tears welling up in, in both of our eyes as she read it. So, yeah, what was that gay girl... Good God. Yeah, Jackie Hill Perry. Jackie Hill Perry, fantastic yeah. stuff.
0: That's a bonus one. Yeah, bonus, that's right. I'm not adding that into my mix. That yeah. does not count against my total. Um, I'm going to tell you, my the, the first one I want to highlight is um, written by Rebecca Manley Pippert. Uh, you might know her as Becky Pippert. It was published in 1979 by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in the U.S. It, the book is called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, subtitled Evangelism as a Way of Life. And if you want to talk about books that... You know, you said uh, the gospel comes with the house key, just pushes a little bit against the grain of, of your comfort or maybe hits the the center, you know, the central core of some of your excuses to challenge them. Man, this book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, is one of those things. Uh, she tells the story about being a campus missionary, campus evangelist, and leading people to the Lord, you know, but it just, what's so compelling about it is that she just strikes me as someone who's been with Jesus. Yeah. And you know, as she tells the the stories of individuals who came to Christ, sitting in her dorm room or sitting in their dorm room with her there, you know, coming alongside them and caring for them, it's just such a beautiful picture of the gospel at work. And it's something I think that we've gotten away from in some era, you know, in in some aspects of of evangelism. And uh, it was a really challenging book for me. Really, really good. I was deeply encouraged by it. Brett, if there's one thing that people reading
1: that book will sort of take away from it in terms of applying it to their daily lives, uh, what, what might you think that
0: would be? Man, I think the thing that I the thing that I took away from this is that it's not that hard. Like it's not that complicated. Like evangelism's not that complicated. And we all know that in one way, but then it, we build up. it's, it's like we're, we're building an enemy in our mind that is so much bigger and greater and stronger than us and just we can't even think about going into battle, we build that idea of evangelism in our mind. It's, it's so big and difficult and imposing and impossible. And you know we just, oh, well, I don't know, maybe I just want to be this person's friend. And it's just like she pushes right past that. And it seems like when she communicates it, it seems doable to me. I think that's the big takeaway that I would have from this book. Yeah, so you recommended that book to me after you came back
1: from your summer vacation, and I remember reading it, and it's like when you read biographies of missionaries, Yeah, and they just talk about their life, just what I did today. And, and for for me, the big takeaway is that evangelism is just so interwoven into every part of her life that she's always thinking, yeah. like, like, how can I either show the love of Jesus or speak the gospel of Jesus to this person yeah. uh, here today?
0: And so that was very, very encouraging to me. Yeah, I thought it was a beautiful, uh, beautiful book. Um, you know, obviously a, a book that was written before either of us were born and I think still reads as very applicable today. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll go next. And so
1: my, my second book is actually not here with me, which is a bit of a story uh, to that, but it's by uh, Rebecca as well. Uh, so we've done Rosaria, Rebecca, and now another Rebecca. Uh, this is by Rebecca McLaughlin. It's called Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. Now, this book has been on a number of best books of 2019 lists uh, out there that you can search, Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today. This book, and, and sort of the refrain has been on this book, is this is the best apologetics books to to give to your friend since Tim Keller's The Reason for God. Uh, and so Rebecca McLaughlin uh, is a PhD uh, student from, I think, either Cambridge or Oxford, which I apologize because I realize those are two different schools, uh, but she's British. And so she just basically takes the 12 big sort of objections people would have towards Christianity and says, here are some winsome answers I can give you uh, to these questions. And and the best part about this is that she's not just spouting facts at people. She's uh, weaving in her own story of following Jesus, being a same-sex attracted female, um, talking about is Christianity homophobic uh, in nature. Uh, she answers all these Big, big questions from the Crusades to, to Christians thinking about children born intersex. I mean, there really is no topic uh, that Rebecca McLaughlin doesn't kind of face head on in this. And again, it is so well written, so winsome. I was so encouraged. I finished it. I was meeting yesterday for lunch with, with a Muslim friend of mine. And um, and I just had this book in my backpack. And I knew we were going to meet for lunch. And so there was you know some intention behind This is it. love, though. This is love. But And, and so I, I said to him, you know, I just read this book and it's underlined and it's kind of marked up. And so I don't know if you that's, that's, that's OK with you, but can I give you this book and you can just keep it. And so I imagine the coming year we'll be giving out like many, many of these books it's because great. she does such a fantastic job of just tackling these big questions that we hear all the time at work, at school uh, in a very winsome, intelligent, thoughtful way.
0: It's fantastic. I have heard a lot. I have this book on my shelf to read, hoping to get to it between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, with a little bit of a lighter re- reading load uh, in general. And I also, um, it's, I've seen it recommended by people who I trust all across the spectrum. And then just today, Christianity Today announced that it won their beautiful Orthodoxy book of the year, whatever category they give it to. And so, yeah, highly recommend it. And I think it's something that's very important for us to be talking about. One of the things I love, and I didn't know she was British until you just brought this up. I, I had no idea. Um, one of the things we need to be learning— um, or one of the, 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 the groups of people we need to be learning from, and I, I think this is important to highlight, that people who have gone into a, a sharper decline into post-Christendom and, and into the post-Christian context with the rise of secularism and pluralism and such, um, in North America, we're kind of ahead of the curve compared to our friends south of the border— and what we need to be doing is learning uh, this kind of thing from people who are from the European context. I think it's very helpful for us to do that. So really encouraged. Um, I'm, I'm excited to read that book.
1: Yeah, that's Rebecca McLaughlin, Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. Um, if this is not, if if it wasn't for Rosaria, this would be at the top uh, of my list
0: uh, for us in right. 2019. Yeah. So I here's this is the thing whenever you try to for me to try pick 5 books from this year that were impacting that I want to recommend somehow I
1: feel like we're going to end up with like 13 yeah, books it, or like it's 14 It's books possible
0: here. but I'm trying to I'm trying to keep it narrowed down but the I'm trying to hit so I read books for really three different reasons one because they get assigned to me by somebody or somewhere you know from some institution that says read this book and you know either I'm going to school or it's something from our network or whatever And um, they just, I get asked to read the book. So that's, I read it because I have to, that's one category. Uh, I read it either, uh, and the second category would be, I read it basically for like my work. So like if you commentaries and studying different ideas uh, so that I can, you know, disciple well and preach well, things like that. And then I would say there's also the category of, I'm reading so that I can hand the books out to others. So I, I quite often read books with others in mind, of people like books that I think will be encouraging, and I want to be able to recommend them wholeheartedly, and so I read it in that way. So I'm trying to hit a bit of a spectrum of of across the board from this. I'm sort of categorically choosing these. There's a lot of justification for why I'm. Yeah, about just to tell what us what book
1: you're, you're choosing. I think that's what we were looking for here.
0: Well, uh, this this book changed my life in a way that I was surprised by. The book is called Your Future Self Will Thank You. The subtitle is Secrets to Self Control from the Bible and Brain Science by a guy named Drew Dick. Uh, Drew lives in the States, works with Moody as an editor, uh, but he's also he's actually a Canadian. Your Future Self Will Thank You is this book about self-control. And um, back in our Galatians series earlier this year when we got to the fruit of the spirit and uh, I preached a whole sermon on self-control that was basically fueled by this book. This book changed the way that I think about uh, my daily disciplines, and I'm going to get right to the heart of it, specifically related to the way that I consume. Uh, Food, entertainment, media, whatever you want to look at it. Very interesting, very challenging to me. And it actually, and I'm not, there's no hyperbole in this. I know that we say things like this changed my life. This actually changed my life. Um, This book on self-control I read while I was on vacation at an all-inclusive resort. So not exactly like the bastion of of self-control. It's like the picture of, I'm, I'm sitting there reading this book going like, oh my gosh, there's so much wrong with my life. There's so much wrong with my, and then the next page, oh my, there's so much wrong with my life. Um, but it's actually, it's really funny. It's really well-written. Again, it's well-written. He's a very good author. Uh, it's enjoyable to read. And it just gets down to the basics of things, uh, fusing together some of the best uh, kind of modern brain science with what's been in scripture in the, the ancient scriptures and so um it's it's fusing those things together bringing them to bear on our lives and it was really helpful to me
1: is there a direct practice that you do today that is a result of having read that book
0: uh yes um the way that i I changed the way that i eat earlier this year and like basically this is a long story but basically i was in a motorcycle accident as you know jake because jake had to preach for me the day after my motorcycle accident because i couldn't And uh, it it changed a lot of things, but basically for the first three or four months, I I couldn't really walk or work out at all. Uh, My feet were damaged, my knee was damaged, my shoulders, uh, my hand, and so I was quite injured and didn't really realize the full extent of my injuries until later on. But what happened was, is I got really out of shape and I felt really unhealthy after this because I had all these bad habits in terms of my diet that I was covering up for by working out like a crazy man. And so I was working out like a savage, but also eating like a glutton and didn't really notice. And I think they were habits that developed for a long time. And so, yeah, I read that book and came home and changed everything, which is, there's your direct correlation. Fantastic. That's great. I really wanted to talk about that, but there you go.
1: (laughs) We appreciate it, though, Brett. Because, I mean, I think a lot of us are, I mean, that's the the spectrum we want to cover with these books, is not just to lofty theological ideas, but also to, I mean, Drew Dick doesn't write as a neuroscientist, but he involves all that information. That's right. All that we can learn today. Uh, I want to keep... On that sort of thread of like neuroscience psychology, if we can, for a second. Uh, my next book, so this is my third book, which I realize I might have six. Uh, and so uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. My next book is called I Told Me So. So not you told me so, but I Told Me So, Self-Deception and the Christian Life. It's by a guy named Greg A. 10 Elshoff. Now, I might be saying that completely wrong. Greg A. 10 Elshoff, is that right? I mean, Greg, if- the letter A. 10. The number 10. But
0: but spelled. Yeah, but spelled. No, no, not the number. He doesn't have the number 10 in his no. name. Which Sof. I wouldn't be
1: surprised these days. No, it's because you a your kid whatever you want. Greg A. 10 Elsoff is the associate pre- professor and de- department chair. <laughs> this
0: is a great intro to this of book. Of philosophy at Biola University.
1: The basic idea, and I found this really, really helpful, particularly as I walked through our community group this past year, was the ways that we self-deceive ourselves. And so he just walks through uh, certain patterns we have in our life that we all do, whether knowingly or not knowingly, uh, in an attempt to deceive ourselves so that we believe what we want to believe and not face the truth of the matter. And I found it to be, like, eerily penetrating. Like, it was, like, scary. Uh, So he talks about, like, things like attention management, procrastination, talks about things called, like perspective switching, uh, rationalization, uh, resentment uh, all these kind of terms that all get at sort of like what we all do in order to deceive ourselves, in order for us to, to believe what we want to believe. And I think on one hand, I think of this as somebody trying to disciple people and, and I say, hey, like perhaps is this happening here that you're trying to, yeah. you know, uh, just sort of procrastinate your way out of this. But if this book is always read for somebody else, right. then I'm deceiving myself. Yes. Uh, and so I found it to be very insightful it's called I told me so. It was published, I think, uh, not definitely not this year uh, in 2009. and so it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. Um, it, it's super insightful. With the Ford's by Dallas Willard, uh, and so that should tell you something.
0: Well I think there's a good fusing between that and the the book. I was talking about um, your future self will thank you in the sense that and if I could go back to that for a second, you know for me, it, it was there were so many easy lies to tell myself that I, that would mean I didn't have to change or confront anything. But when it came down to it, for me, I don't, I don't buy in wholeheartedly to, you know, I need to be this or that, or I need to do better and try harder in some sort of religious formatting. But being confronted with who you really are, and then for me, realizing that my self-control was actually a sin against, my lack of self-control was a sin against God. That's what really brought change into my life. And so I can understand some of the brain science, and I want to learn all of those things in the same way as we want to learn some of the you know, psychological factors in our lives. But for me, it's when it's when you fuse those things and drive them down at your heart. Absolutely. And you, you're confronted with it in the face of God. Before the face of God, you're confronted with the state of your heart. That for me.
1: Fantastic. So that's, that's my, my second book or my third book.
0: My, my third book,
1: uh, who's counting really? I Told Me So by Greg A. 10, the number 10, spelt Elshoff. <laughs> there you go.
0: Okay, uh, new category. No more qualifiers. Just nope. just say the book. This book is called Disruptive Witness by Alan Noble, uh, Speaking the Truth in a Distracted Age. This book basically takes uh, a secular age by Charles Taylor, which which won like a million dollar you know book, like best book in philosophy or something like that a few years ago. A secular age by, again, Canadian author Charles Taylor. Uh, he's a Catholic philosopher who wrote this book called A Secular Age that really changed the game for a lot of people in the way that they understand things. You talk about is well also written, super hard to read. Super hard to read. You talk about beautifully written books. Uh, one of my professors years ago said that uh, A Secular Age by Charles Taylor is the best, worst written book he's ever read. (laughs) It's repetitive. It's dense. It's like, I don't understand what that sentence means. And I think his editor didn't understand what that sentence meant, but then felt like he would feel stupid trying to get him to change it. And you're like reading it going like, I don't don't think anyone understands what this means. Um, Interestingly, there's a great book by James K.A. Smith called how not to be secular which is basically a summary of that book and it's it's how you're supposed to read that book anyway so that's another man there's some nerdy you stuff. know you've
1: made it when people write readers for your book yeah here's how you read this book yeah
0: or that your book was poorly written but important and so somebody wants to write a reader for it uh, but this book uh disruptive witness by alan noble fantastic book Really getting to the heart of the distracted world that we live in uh, talks about media a lot, social media. Talks about then disruptive habits, and disruptive in that good sense of like bearing disruptive witness, like countercultural ideas, and what it means to participate in the broader culture, in your church family, in your personal life. Um, and I just thought it was really again challenging. Talks a lot about media. Talks a lot about the the sort of image saturation of our world and teases out some really good thoughts that I would highly recommend it. Very readable book. Um, it's taking an academic idea and distilling it, I think, into a beautifully written, again, beautifully written book. Uh, Alan Noble's got a Ph.D. from, uh, I think, Baylor in the States, and so, you know, another smart guy who is uh, doing his best to take the, the, the smart stuff and distill it down into practical, helpful things for the church.
1: Anything practical uh,
0: that you applied coming out of that, or is that uh, did that just live in your head? I think some of it, it lived in my head, but it changed. Uh, it definitely, uh, He's he was saying a lot of things that I felt. You know when you read those books and they resonate with you because you're like, man, I feel this. And this guy just put it in words and it's really yep. good. Uh, I like that because then I can recommend that book to somebody else. Because I'm feeling this. I agree with this. I think this. And this guy's going to say it better than exactly. I Exactly. This it. guy says it. He worked a lot harder than me on this idea and he says it better than I would ever say it. And so I can then pass that along. So Disruptive Witness. Um, yeah, th- th- that's a... Maybe not the most practical application of it, but um, definitely with my use of media, I was challenged by that. Fantastic. Good? Good. Hit us. I I think I'll have seven books by the end, if, if that's okay. <laughs> I'm looking at my pile Dude, here. It's your podcast, man. You get to do what you want to do. Beautiful. This book is called Work. Just, there's nobody listening by the end
1: of it, but that's fine. <laughs> it's called Work. It's Purpose, Dignity, and Transformation by Daniel Doriani. Um, there are, it seems like a thousand books on work, maybe a thousand and one books on work, maybe 40 of which you've read, two of which or three of which I've read. The reason I like this book on work is that there's sometimes this idea and there's this um, and Brett, you, you know, probably know this parable well, but like there's the three bricklayers. Are you familiar with that one?
0: Why don't you explain it to me like I'm in kindergarten?
1: So there's, well, I mean, I'm gonna, I might butcher it. And so I want to make sure I get it right. <laughs> but there's these three bricklayers and they're all laying bricks. And um and you know someone asked the first bricklayer like what what are you doing? You know, I'm I'm building a wall. And then um right. or, or and then they asked um, the, the next uh, bricklayer like what are you doing? You know, I'm I'm building, you know, part of this this temple for worship. Uh, and the third bricklayer is just like, w- you know, what are you doing right now? Well, I'm worshiping God. Right. And it's a very sort of cute Idea that you know, and I think it's biblical in a certain sense for sure. That all of our work is glory to God; uh, it should give glory to God, and and I affirm that. And we're all about that uh, in our teaching. We did a series on this um, in spring of last year. Of course, we're about that. Yes. The problem is, we're entering an age where work is becoming more and more dehumanizing.
0: Hmm.
1: Where work is, you're sitting at a table pressing a button for hours upon hours, you're doing one monotonous task over and over again. And the question that Doriani asked, I think is really important, is that work, which is inherently dehumanizing, is that work giving glory to God? And I think he's right when he says that that work does not give glory to God. He says in his book on page 71, if every job is a calling, the ability to question dehumanizing work evaporates. If every job is a calling, the ability to question dehumanizing work evaporates. And so he goes through sort of historical view of work up until this current day in our technological age in which we live in. Uh, and he kind of just drills it down into the very practical nature of work, and so he has that big historical view of work, but but he ends in a very very practical way in terms of how we persist in work that is dehumanizing, uh, what it means to be faithful in the midst of an unfaithful corporation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really really enjoyed this book because he was very honest about work.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have that um, that ring of idealism, right? That some of the faith and work books do. Because I think a lot of the conversations, because we have uh, we have taught on this a number of times uh, within the Body of Christ City and then and then beyond a bit. For me, with looking at all of the stuff that's been put together over the maybe the last decade or so on faith and work, one of the things it does ring a bit idealistic at times. Absolutely. And the conversations that I then have with people sounds something like this. Okay, you talk about, you know, serving God in all of life. And I would say, yes. And they go, okay, cool. Well, nine to five, here's what I do. And then they describe a reasonably monotonous task that in their mind doesn't have a really God-glorifying end. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking of one specific guy who, who talks to me, is like, I do property appraisals. And basically the only reason I do property appraisals is that so that um, people can get more money for their properties. And at the end of the day, I sit there and write reports so that, you know, he's like, "Where's God in that?" Yeah, he's like, "He's like, I legitimately don't need God, right?" And like, that's not what he would say. I'm putting words in his mouth, but I don't need God to do this. Like, I'm fine. I have the skills to do this. And so, yeah, there's the like the precondition of yeah. I mean, with every breath, right? You like, know, I I couldn't wake up and breathe the next day if God decided I wasn't going to. But but he's just saying like, I have the ability to do this, and I don't really know how I'm serving the Lord in my work. And there's lots of jobs like that. And I think that's where this book is probably an important contribution to the vast amount of literature on the topic.
1: Yeah, I think Doriani says, like, here are some ways to discern, like, what is a calling in your life? Uh, what it means to do work that is deeply meaningful. Uh, and it's not just the work that we think is deeply meaningful. In fact, we can be part of, you know, you know things that are typically, you know, called monotonous uh, that can be actually quite meaningful uh, in the grand scheme of things. And then at the end, you know, he talks about like he singles out certain professions. And so he gets that sort of granular uh, with the whole thing. So that's work. It's Purpose, Dignity and Transformation by Daniel Doriani. Again, we preached on this. I preached on this, uh, I think, in May or June of this past year. Uh, Great book.
0: uh, Great contribution to that area of thinking. Fantastic. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to do two in a row. I'm going to do two for one. That's what I'm doing right now. Two for one. This is how you pack in. I'm going to only do five, but I'm doing a two for one plus the bonus ones I've already said. Okay? I'm married to my seven, so you do whatever you want. Um, Missional Church, Missional God by Dr. Ross Hastings, who's a professor at Regent College, lives in Vancouver. One of the best books I've ever read on the doctrine of mission or, or what you could call the study of missiology. And then there's a book called which, te- if you type into the word into a Word doc, is underlined red. Missiology. Missiology. Uh, uh, not a real word. Yeah, but you have to teach. You've got to instruct. This is discipleship. You have to. dis <laughs> sure. You have to disciple Microsoft Word. <laughs> right. And you have to teach Microsoft Word the important words of theology and and that are necessary for you to do. If your you're
1: work. wondering if pastors are just making up words, the answer is yes. <laughs>
0: Second book of my two for one here is called Together for the City by Neil Powell and John James, who are guys uh, who live in the UK and uh, in Birmingham. And so they burn Birmingham, England. They've got this thing uh, where they started to talk about how they could reach their city. And it's this comprehensive plan, how collaborative church planting leads to citywide movements. And so the reason I'm putting these together, um, missional church, missional God has this beautiful theological foundation for the mission that we are on about as the church. Um, and it's all built really out of John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, where Jesus basically says to the disciples after his resurrection, as the father sent me, so now I send you. That's literally like, and it's a 320 page book based on that verse is what it, if I distill it into its essence. But he talks about the Trinity and and builds a lot of it on Trinitarian mission uh, the father and the son and the spirit and the work of God in this way. And I uh, highly recommended. Not an easy book to read, so, but I want to throw it out there because there's some people who um, are, are going to challenge themselves in 2020. And this is a book that would challenge you and you would come out richer for it. That's good to kind of put that sort of, this is sort of a, a bit more deep. Together for the City was a book that I was asked to read by um, some guys that we're working with in terms of church planting in Canada. And... Uh, It's coming out of the Redeemer City to City family, so uh, the Church Planting Network that Tim Keller started. Neil Powell and John James um, working together, different churches in Birmingham, and um, man, honestly, like really, really encouraging, strategic kind of stuff to think through. And uh, I'm not going to go on at length about that because I could go on at length about church planting, but that's I get excited about that and working with other churches in the city to see the city reached in Jesus' name.
1: Awesome. My... I don't know where, what I'm even at anymore. My next book, which is true, uh, is called Spirit and Sacrament, uh, an invitation to eucharismatic worship. Uh, and so there we have the fusing together of eucharistic and Euchar- and charismatic. Didn't
0: you just make fun of pastors making up words? I didn't this say it li- was wrong. Literally, this book is, is based upon a it's word that's made up.
1: It's based on a made-up word. It's by Andrew Wilson, uh, who is... We talk about good writing. I could read Andrew Wilson all the time. He's a fantastic author, again, an English guy. It seems to be that the English has something to do with this English language. Um, in, in the foreword, uh, it says this, and, and Matt Chandler, who's a pastor in Texas, he writes the forward. He talks about uh, feeling this tension growing up of, of wanting to be part of a rich theological tradition, but also live in the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit, and also live in the fullness of what it means to walk by the Spirit. And, and Chandler writes this in the introduction, he says, most often I felt like the child of divorced parents who would badmouth each other as I deeply loved each of them. And the rest of the book is Wilson sort of painting a picture of what would it look like to be a church that is deeply committed to the sacraments, uh, you know, to, to to the Lord's Supper, to baptism, mm-hmm. uh, to worship word, uh, to all those things, uh, and also be deeply committed to walking in step with the Spirit, and that includes uh, leaning into the spiritual gifts, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, and so the book is, is great because it really, it, it doesn't appeal to any sort of one person, right? Right. So the rationalist, uh, sort of materialist uh, is challenged because he's talking about gifts of the spirit and, and the charismatic is challenged. Cause he's talking about, you know, like liturgy and right. uh, that, that sounds stuffy and dead. Right. Uh, and so again, Andrew Wilson, great writer. If you want to think about those things, I would highly recommend this book as sort of an invitation uh, into those sorts of that sort of thinking.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's a there's something about this again when you read books that are well written but they're also saying the things you're feeling and you go, "My goodness, I resonate with this on a deep level." This is one of those books. Absolutely. Yeah, we're talking about the importance of the sacraments and the 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 Eucharist specifically in celebrating Christ's body and blood. Uh, and, and, you know, we talk about this every Sunday, uh, the way that we celebrate communion on a weekly basis and the the importance. I mean, I think that's the, the highlight, the pinnacle of our Sunday gathering is when we come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so it's fusing that, though, but not neglecting the gifts of the Spirit.
1: Absolutely. And, and I, th- I think that's a tough... That's a tough balance to strike. <laughs> uh, tough balance to strike. To, to, to you know, make uh, something that's you know, largely understated. But yeah. I'll go again, Brett, because I want to make sure that you, we, we kind of end with a one-and-one. One. I just did two. You just So i all do, too. You do, do too. a second. Let's and we're it. talking about sacraments, so this is sort of related. Uh, as you know, we, we planted a church this year, uh, and in the corner of the city where we we live and where we serve and where we worship, uh, largely Roman Catholic. Yeah. A huge Italian Roman Catholic neighborhood. Uh, my neighbors are Italian. Uh, the people we rent from are Italian. Uh, the people I coach soccer with and play with are, are Italian. And so uh, part of being in that neighborhood uh, means understanding uh, the Roman Catholic faith in a way that I've never had to understand it before. Oh. And so, the book I'm recommending uh, that has been very helpful to me in my own journey in this is by Greg Allison. Greg with two G's. I don't know why he did that.
0: That's his parents. That wasn't him. Well, that's his parents. He could have decided. His parents did that. Well, he could have, anyways. Greg Allison. Greg 27 Allison. You just throwing numbers into names? Yeah. Now? <laughs> Greg Allison,
1: called Roman Catholic <laughs> Theology and Practice. And then the subtitle is An Evangelical Assessment. Uh, and it's just, this is like, your earlier book with Ross Hastings, Brett, this is sort of a bit of a, a deeper theological dive on the topic, but if you're at all interested uh, in terms of how to think about the Roman Catholic Church, uh, its doctrines, its teachings, um, it, its um it's, you know, post-Vatican II, which is the big document that came out in the 70s uh, that kind of outlined a lot of these teachings uh, for the Church today. If you want to think about how to engage with the Catholic Church today and, and what it really means to to follow Jesus according to that tradition, I would highly recommend this book. It's been very, very helpful to me. It's also a great, re- uh, like, a reference guide, oh. so you can just kind of look up, like, certain things. Like, what do they believe about the Lord's Supper? What do they believe about... Baptism. What do they believe about salvation? All those sorts of things, and he engages uh, with, um, you know, the the, the authoritative texts uh, that exist for, for Roman Catholics.
0: Greg Allison's a, like a historical doctrine guy. Absolutely, that's yeah. his. That's his. Yep and and lived
1: specialty. and, and worked worked amongst uh, Roman Catholics for a long time in Italy I believe and so uh, he's not writing from an antagonistic perspective he's right. not looking to be like down with Catholics up with Protestants he he does a really fair assessment and he says like there's there's some points of overlap and he's also fair in saying there's some points of sharp disagreement Right. and so it's acknowledging both of those that I think is the richness of this book I think it's good I think I should probably read it it's a fantastic
0: it's a, book you uh, should listen to this podcast you should listen to this. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to hit uh, a book that is kind of a part two book. And so um, in, I don't know, a couple of years ago, a guy named Mark Sayers, Australian pastor, uh, sort of a social commentator, cultural commentator guy, he wrote a book called Disappearing Church, talking about the sort of the slide of the church in a post-Christian context. And so he gets into it and gets into the secularity stuff. He gets into... Um, really what it looks like and where he sees the church headed. And it was, I thought it was a really great book. Like, I thought it was fantastic. But apparently there was a bit of a negative, not a negative, I really liked it. It was a good thing. But I I think he was perceived as being a bit negative. I think, let me say it that way. So the perception was like, well, yeah, maybe you're identifying the problem, but that's kind of where you're at. Now, to know the guy is to know he's not like that at all. So he just released a book this year called Reappearing Church. he have got Disappearing Church, Reappearing Church. We've got marketer people working on this. I'm sure it's very good. It's called uh, Reappearing Church, The Hope for Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. So the hope for renewal in the midst of that disappearing church and how he was talking about Christendom was really disappearing, which is not something new to us, but it, there's hope for renewal in the midst of it. And So he wrote this book, which really chronicles um, some aspects of renewal that God has done in the past, awakenings, and then looks at what that might look like in our culture and how we can prepare for a move of God. In the midst of decline, in the midst of whatever else, whatever other narratives you want to tell yourself about the church, in the world that we live in, um, there's also the hopeful expectation that God is going to do something magnificent in our generation, and so we pray in Vancouver as it is in heaven, we pray that God would do his will on earth as it is in heaven, we we pray that God would do something in our generation in Vancouver that would shake the foundations of this city that would cause people to come back to him, and so I thought it was a good book, really helpful, and he's just a great guy, uh, really, really insightful guy, he's got some crazy stuff that he just drops in there where you're going, who reads this kind of thing, or who thinks about this thing. Well, he does. And uh, I'm very thankful for him.
1: No, I would agree. I think that's the richness of that book is he's pulling from a, like a vast spectrum of resources as he reads. And, you know, he'll footnote something and it'll be like this obscure, you know, 19, you know, early 19th century book. He's right. like, where did he even get that book? Yeah, right. Like I didn't, how do you know that book
0: exists? Right. Yeah, he's that guy. Yeah, perfect. He he has some sort of weird photographic memory. Like he just has stuff cataloged in his mind. He is brilliant. So, uh, yeah, very encouraging to read that with a prayerful, hopeful expectation of renewal that God may visit our city uh, in a powerful way. Yeah, and if we could highlight certain books, that's certainly one of the
1: books I'd want to highlight out of this list that I think would be really encouraging for our people. Again, that's Reappearing Church by Mark Sayers. It's the the second part uh, to Disappearing Church uh, by Mark Sayers. Yeah. Um, fantastic book. Thanks, Brett. This is my last book. So it's been it's been seven, and you said five. It's great. It's been seven. Um I have probably walked more people through this book in the past year uh, than, than I actually can can count. Uh, it's a marriage book, which uh, my wife will tell you is not indicative of how often I read marriage books. Uh, she would like if I read more marriage books. Uh, this one's called a Like the Shepherd, Leading Your Marriage with Love and Grace. It's by a guy named Robert Wolgamoth. Robert Wolgamoth. Uh, and so I have a thing for authors with strange names. Um, it's a great book. It's it's very practical. Uh, the book's subtitle, or I guess like sub-subtitle, is A Husband's Guide. And so it's particularly aimed at guys. Uh, what does it mean to lead your marriage? One of the things we get asked all the time is we talk about leading our wives. Uh, like guys come to me like, that sounds good, but like, what does that actually mean? Right. You know, does that mean like I, I make all the the bank decisions? Does, (laughs) does that
0: mean that I always drive? Yeah. We we talk about this in our premarital stuff in our classes. Right. People look and go, what do you you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and so I think this book is, is great in that it kind of gives um, some real practical guidelines. Uh, the book is like 10 out of 10 cheesy. Like some of the, the illustrations he gives are like very American and like very like, you know, big church America illustrations. And yet uh, I think very insightful. I think very faithful to scripture. He paints a beautiful servant hearted picture, what it means uh, to love and lead our wives as Christ loves and leads the church. And so um, one of the marriage books that I recommend uh, to, to, husbands all the time again let a bunch of guys do that this past year um it's called like the shepherd leading your marriage with love and grace by robert
0: wolgamoth awesome and uh husbands your wives will say thank you yeah wives it's almost christmas go ahead and buy your husband this book
1: my my, my wife because i read it a few times this past year but she always knows when i'm reading that book you just, you, i come home i'm extra your husband
0: game oh yeah, yeah it's i'm fired up on yeah. point yeah, yeah. um Jake, when you go into a year, so you know we're, we're recording this on uh, December 10th, 2019. Okay, we're turning the calendar year. 2020 is upon us. How do you do you make a plan for what you want to read? or do you, are you reactive in like, oh, I got to get that book, that book, that book because you got to read a lot for work, which means you don't always want to be sitting around reading at night. I get that, but you do. So how do, how do you work that out?
1: Yeah, I think, like you said, it's part planned and part sort of whatever. You know, I was just telling Brett before this, I was scrolling through my Amazon list of orders uh, and you could kind of really see what season I was in as I went through, you know, like in the summertime, you know, all the fiction, I was ordering all the fiction and I sort of just used that time to kind of immerse myself in creative storytelling, uh, in just good writing. And I don't do any, and I know this differs because you do some deep theological dives in the summer. Right. And I think like, I don't know how you can do that. Yeah. There's something about the winter for me as a like big, thick book, big, deep theological dive. I am, I am in fiction all summer. Uh, for for the most part. Uh, and then of course to this some planned things like we have, you know, teaching series coming up. And so I'll grab the three or four commentaries or we'll share three or four commentaries that we'll read through, uh, together, which are, are planned things. And then I guess the third category outside of, you know, the fiction in the summer and the planned things is just whatever the Lord is kind of speaking to me. in. and so one of the things I would encourage all readers to do is, is find a book they love and then find like who the people, uh, that are writing are referencing yeah like like the foot like in the footnotes right and so i oftentimes will go through a footnote of one of my favorite books and just kind of read those those people yeah. and so um so so nothing you know explicitly planned for this year uh outside of the things that are already kind of you know for work or for yeah. uh, for pleasure
0: i've got a, a a mini stack of books that i want to tuck into in 2020 for me um yeah, the, the, the list of things I want to read versus what I have to read. Usually the have to read obviously get done first, but, uh, the pile of want to read books is getting higher now, but there's a couple things that I want to dive into in 2020. So I I've already bought those and they're prepped and ready for me to dive into very intentionally. So I, I, I like to go thematically at times. So I'll either go thematically or, or I'll lean into an author really hard. So like one year I I'd read most of CS Lewis's stuff, uh, but one year, I reread and read almost all of the nonfiction he wrote in one year, and Interesting. I just I just lived in C.S. Lewis land for a nonfiction for a whole year, and I, I just kind of went through all of it. I've done years where I've done that with uh, with N.T. Wright, I've done that with Tim Keller, I've done that with um, D.A. Carson, Leslie Newbegin. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, you noticed that last yeah. year. Yeah, which yeah. you know I mercifully didn't bring on into this conversation all of the Leslie Newbegin stuff. I did that probably a year and a half, kind of over the last year and a half. Um, do you get to a certain point where you say, like, no more new books? Like, I have to read what I have here before I order? Yes, I definitely do. And so I, I'm there right now because I've got a stack. What I like about reading authors and, and kind of doing a double down into an author's world is that you can I can read them more quickly because I already know what they're going to say because there's a lot of repetition. There's also fascinating, if you can read them in chronological order... It's really fascinating because you get to see the development of their thinking over time. So somebody like Leslie Newbegin, who is a missiologist, which is another word you can teach, right, your, your computer. But as a missiologist, he really laid a foundation for Western mission and what that looks like coming out of the Eastern mission world. And so he was a bishop in India for a number of years. And so as you read sort of like the alarming state of how things were when he came back to England after being in, in India for like 30 or 40 years... And then he starts to write and he begins to teach at a college and he starts to work on it. You see the development of his thought. And then another thing I've done is I've grabbed a hold of people who are Leslie Newbegin scholars. And so now I'm reading a, a Leslie Newbegin scholar writing about Leslie Newbegin after I've read all of Leslie Newbegin's stuff. And so by the end of it, I feel like I actually have a handle on what he's teaching. I think turbo nerd
1: is, Thank you. is the word that we assign Thank you. at that point. I think it's interesting too, and we're going to wrap this up in just a second, but to read authors. Uh, like before they've encountered Jesus and to read them after encountering Jesus. Uh. And so C.S. Lewis, uh, is one of those authors. I read, uh, Alistair McGrath's biography of him this past year, actually. And it's just interesting to read some of Lewis's stuff, uh, before he encounters Jesus and after, and and to see too, like, like what it means to follow Jesus in our writing. Yeah. In, in our creative thinking. Um, fascinating stuff.
0: Love it. Uh, thankful for an opportunity to be able to sit down and talk about this. And, uh, yeah, if you've got books that we should be reading, why don't you let us know? We'd love to uh, to have you let us know. You can send us a message on social media or something and, and uh, put us onto your favorite books. We'd love to be able to, to maybe cover some of those. If we uh, read them in 2020, maybe we'll come back in a year and do this again. Thanks, Jake. Here Be Dragons is a podcast of Christ City Church in Vancouver. You can find us online at herebedragonspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dragon Podcast.